This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexil series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. Startup Nation, as we continue on our path of entrepreneurship and this new era of social distancing and COVID-19, you know, having that personal effect on things is going to be more uh, important now than ever. Having Building those relationships, but also having a personal touch on things uh, when it comes to communicating with customers and stuff like that is going to be super important as we engage and move forward, which is why we have a great guest to kind of help us out with that today for sure. He is a graduate at the University of Pennsylvania, and he majored in economics at the Warden School. He is a serial entrepreneur that has been featured in Fox News, Bloomberg Radio, and quoted in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Variety, and more. He is also the founder of Handwritten, a company that allows you to build deep and lasting bonds with your customers through the power of handwritten notes. He is Startup Nation, David Wax. DW, how's it going, my man? <laughs> I am well. How are you, sir? I can't complain. Just living a dream, living a dream. Yeah. Are, are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? I am indeed. I will do my absolute best. All right. And DW, if you would, man, just kind of share with us your origin story on your, and your background a little bit up until this point. Yeah, for sure. So I always, like probably many, many, many of your guests, mm -hmm. um, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, Dominic. Gotcha. Um, even even when I was in, so so I guess it goes all the way back to when I was like five or six years old. Mm -hmm. um, my my mom would buy me stuff at Costco, like licorice nibs, and I'd go door to door with a red wagon selling the licorice nibs, and people would buy them from me just because I was a cute little five year old. Okay. And then uh, one day I didn't have anything to sell, so I took the family first aid kit. Right. And I went door to door, knocking on everybody's door. And I said, excuse me, are there any emergencies going on? And they said, no, but try back later. So that was my first time being an entrepreneur. And then um, when I got older, I went to uh, the University of Pennsylvania. Like you said, I did an engineering and business program right. with the idea that I would one day use that to be an entrepreneur. And I did. I specifically did computer science because I thought the capital expenditure of starting a software business would be a lot less than starting a factory. Mm. 
Um, so that's why I did computer science. And uh, but when I came out of school, this was the go go two thousand. Like the year was two thousand, right. and this, there was the startup bubble and all this stuff going on, and there was a lot of money to be made working for somebody else, mm-hmm. as well as working, you know, obviously doing a startup. But right. I went. I had a ton of debt from from Penn uh, from my school, so I uh, I went to work for a big corporation helping them pivot and become startup-y. Mm-hmm. Um, did that as a consultant for a few years, then went into investment banking for a year and into venture capital. I always thought, gee, I'd actually worked at a venture capital shop uh, while in college. And I thought, if I'm not an entrepreneur for a while, let me be a venture capitalist. So I went to work for a venture capitalist in San Diego. And that experience turned out to be a total train wreck best told over beers because I have some crazy stories where my uh, office was bugged. Um, He was paranoid and he thought um, he thought I would be doing weird stuff. So we had video cameras on me, just aimed on me. And, and it all came after four months, it came to a screeching halt. This was in 2014. Uh, It came to a, or sorry, 2004, 2004. It came to a screeching halt when he fired me basically claiming I sold stock that the company had without his permission. And anybody in San Diego who knew this guy knew nobody could do anything without his permission and the brokerage firm wouldn't allow it, et cetera. I mean, it would, it wouldn't have happened, but he blamed the stock transaction on me and he fired me. He said I could come back if I, um, if I would admit to selling the stock and I, I wasn't born yesterday. Um, so I said, no. And, um, I was out on the street and, um, basically all the years prior. So I guess for the four or five years prior to that experience, I had spent every last dime paying down school debt Mm -hmm. and I had zero savings which is not the way to go because you never know if you're going to get fired and then you're out on your ass uh, and you have no, no nest egg, you know, to, to sit back on and, and, you know, to support you. So I actually moved back to Scottsdale, Arizona, where I grew up Mm -hmm. and I um, with my head between my legs and I had dinner with my father. He put me up in a apartment that he had unrented. He owned some properties and I had dinner with my father and we started talking about business ideas. And he said, well, wouldn't it be great uh, to use Blackberries or barcodes to provide information on houses? Mm-hmm. Mind you, this was before the uh, iPhone. Right. Uh, so the idea of, you know, instant information using an app did not exist. So I said, well, maybe not Blackberries or barcodes, but what about text messaging? You know, where you see a sign hanging in front of the property, it says text in to get info on the property, you get the info and the realtor gets the lead. And that started my true experience in entrepreneurship with a company called Sellit, C-E-L-L-I-T. And that company was a text messaging company. Um, We started with real estate. We quickly added retail. So we ended up sending millions of text messages on behalf of brands like um, Ikea and Office Max and uh, Sam's Club and uh, all these large retailers, in addition to Auto Trader and the Chicago Tribune and Marie Claire Magazine and on and on and on, we were doing millions of text messages a day on behalf of all them. And then um, I sold that company in 2012 to a company called ePrize, which was an online promotions company based out of Detroit. 
and worked for them for two years um, during what's called an earnout, which is when you sell a company, they don't want you to just hand over the keys and walk away. They want you to run the company with them for a few years. So I did that two-year earnout with them. Right. Um, and during those two years, what I realized was, yeah, our text messaging really worked. I mean, whenever we sent out a campaign for tropical smoothie ca- cafes, which is like kind of like a smoothie shop right. franchise. Whenever we sent out a text message for them, they would have lines around the block. Um, or if we did it for, you know, whatever, Abercrombie, they would have people lined up when the mall opened, et cetera. But at the same time, people were getting overrun with digital communication, whether it was uh, text messages or emails. The average office worker gets over 300 emails a day. Um, or back in 2012, 2013, you know, Twitter and and Slack and right. all these other forms were proliferating. And also emails through like automated sales email systems like Salesforce or um, Persist IQ, all these different sales systems were making it very easy to send a totally personalized email that looked like it was typed by you, but it, it really wasn't. It was, you know, just auto auto sent. And because of that, people realized the value of those touch points was diminishing. Mm. So, you know, like you could send, you know, you could receive a quote unquote personalized email from you, Dominic, and people would be like, eh, was it really sent by him? I don't know. I'm not even going to read it. How, I'll, or I'll read it when I get through these other 300 emails. I right. So, I'm sitting there in my office at ePrize and I see the handwritten notes written, uh, sent to me and they're on display on my bookshelf behind my desk. And when I want to send handwritten notes to my clients and employees, when I was ready to leave, sell it after those two years of earnout, um, I saw the value in sending handwritten notes and I sat down to write them and I got through like five or six and I'm like, this is too hard. <laughs> you know, the, it, my hand cramped. I kept screwing up. I'd have to pull new cards out. Um, I didn't have the stamps. I didn't have the stationery. And on and on and on, like I think a lot of people do. So I said, there has to be a better way. So the day after I finished up at ePrize Sell It, uh, which is now called Hello World. Uh, and actually right. now it's a part of Merkle. So it's gone through many, many iterations. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when I finished up with that, the next day I started handwritten and the idea behind this company, and I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want this to be a sales pitch. I'll be real quick here. The idea of this company is um, we automate the quote unquote unautomatable by using robotic technology to send handwritten notes at scale. So on the front end, we have a website, iPhone app for Android and iPhone uh, or sorry, app for iPhone and Android plugins through Zapier, which is a super cool tool I can talk about, mm-hmm. salesforce.com integration, HubSpot integration, et cetera, that lets you submit handwritten notes into our system. And then on the other side of that technology, we have robots that we build here in our facility in Phoenix, Arizona, and we write out those notes on the hand, in the handwriting style of your choice, including your own handwriting, if you want us to duplicate it. We then write that we put a real um we we handwrite the envelope as well if you want we can insert an insert such as a gift card to starbucks or target etc and then we put a real stamp on it and stick it in the mail and it looks totally authentic uh we currently have 95 robots 
we build well prior to COVID, we we're building more every week. Right. Uh, we've we've taken a pause on the building as we have plenty of capacity right now, but um, but that's kind of the deal. Uh, and so we're completely vertically integrated. We build our own, we design our own robots, we build them, we write our own software. The entire thing is built in house, and um, I am very confident that we're the world leader at this point in sending handwritten notes. And we do this for everything from individual people that want to send their mo- mom or sister or whatever a birthday card, all the way up to major luxury brands, um, e-tailers, retailers, pretty much the sky, uh, insurance brokers, real estate agents, et cetera. Pretty much anybody that thinks um, a handwritten note will stand out right. from the pack of electronic communication will use us or can use us. And uh, if you go to handwritten.com, and you click the resources tab, you can find all sorts of stats that prove handwritten notes work. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of us in a nutshell. Absolutely. And Startup Nation, we have that website there in the show notes. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, handwritten.com. That's H-A-N-D-W-R-Y-T-T-E-N.com. Like I said, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. I want to ask you two follow-ups uh, really quickly, David, if I could, because you're actually the second person to come on the show who was a red wagon entrepreneur back when they were kids, right? <laughs> we, actually had, we actually had the chairman of uh, JetBlue Airways come on the show. And he had that same experience. Tell me a little bit about that a little bit more, man. Tell me about that experience, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's funny. If it, Actually, to that point, red wagon, uh, the cards, it the line of cards that we designed. So yeah. we started with handwritten. We um, we started showcasing other people's cards. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, like uh, we'd work with artisans and, and develop and they'd ship us their cards and we'd write them out. But when we're doing these bulk campaigns for corporations, they, they don't want to spend the money uh, associated with the licensing, et cetera. So we came up with our own line of cards mm-hmm. and they're all called red wagon cards uh, on the back. They're not okay. called handwritten because we don't want to give away the secret sauce that, you know, this note was sent by handwritten and not by them. Right. Um, so they're called red wagon and it's strictly because of the red wagon I used when I was growing up and it wasn't even my wagon. It was my older brother's, but I <laughs> stole it from him and I went door to door selling and, you know, the 52 cents or whatever I made was very exciting to me. Gotcha. And then actually in high school, and this is before, really the Dells, Michael Dells of the world were out there, you know, um, doing computers the way they do them now. But back when I was in high school, I used to build or assemble uh, personal computers and sell those. So I was a huge nerd, but uh, that was MacroLogic Solutions was the first LLC that I ever operated. And, and, and that's, that was interesting because what happened was, mm-hmm. and this is an interesting takeaway, we actually sold a ton of computers. And I would say 80% of them came from referrals from one person. And that person's name was Dana, who I think I met once. Right. And what happened was, is my mother, and you know, again, I was in high school, so I had a proud mother. My mother went to get her nails done. And when she got her nails done, she told the nail person, um, you know, they, 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 you know, gab at each other or whatever. And right. she told the nail person what her son was doing. And then other people would come in and get their nails done and say they were looking for a computer. And Dana would tell them, oh, I know just the guy. And that built our business. Wow. Having, I mean, it was, it was a small business. You know, right. I was busy in, in, in high school and everything. Right. But it was certainly 
a great experience into starting a business and, and all that. And it was funny because at the same time, I would call up my distributors who were in, in Phoenix and I'd say, hello, this is David Wax. I'm with Macrologic Solutions. Uh, and I'd place an order for a bunch of computer parts or whatever. And then I, they would say, okay, that'll be ready if you want to come down and pick it up. And I'd say, well, I can't come down, but I'll send my runner boy to pick him up. And then I'd get in the car and go down and pick him up. And uh, for, for about a year, I would do this one with one of my main distributors. And finally, something happened where he figured out that the runner boy ran the company and he was floored. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think certain people just have the itch. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs in your, your listenership have the itch and they've had it since a young age. Absolutely. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at. But, uh, but yeah, the Red Wagon was just, uh, it all started with licorice nibs and just <laughs> having some extra around the house and wanting to get rid of them and make some money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that story. I, I didn't, I really didn't expect it to tie in back to handwritten, but that's a fascinating story. Uh, yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing <laughs> And one of the things you, you said, which I thought was interesting is about like, you know, building those relationships, but those, inf- those relationship infrastructures, how like your hub kind of came from yep. uh, that, uh, uh, that was a hair salon, hair dryer, hair, that nail lady, the woman that yes. did my yes. my mother's nails. Right. And you just never know who's Absolutely. going to be an influencer. Absolutely. You know? It's just amazing. And Startup Nation, that's one of the important reasons why it's, you know, uh, to, to build relationships. Because you just never know. That one person may be uh, responsible, like in this case, 80% of your business. So thank you for sharing that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was crazy. And uh, I owe her a debt of gratitude for for all the business she sent my way. And I think at one point we, we gave her like some smoke and deal on a printer that she wanted to buy or something gotcha. because of all the, of all the, you know, the help she lent us. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you about sell it really quickly uh, because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, uh, we, we have that, that conversation with ourselves uh, a lot of times in the beginning, but sometimes it's after we started the company, we've had it six, seven, eight years about, do I want to stay in the company or is it time to sell? Kind of walk through that, that conversation with yourself, that conversation with your team uh, when it comes to making that decision, because it's not an easy one. Yeah. Uh, So as your listeners probably know, uh, being an entrepreneur is tough. Really tough. And the first few years are super tough, especially, you know, I think people see these venture capital backed companies out there that, you know, you know, that's, that's such a small minority of companies out there. Most people really just put all their savings into a company and their nose to the grindstone and, and really need to scrap it together and make it work. And that's what sell it was. We never took we, we did take um, uh, an investment from one woman, uh, which we ended up giving back a couple months later due to a difference in opinion. Gotcha. Uh, but, but, uh, but it's tough. And um, I wanted, I, early on, I got approached by uh, a gentleman named Todd that worked for an investment bank. I was at a conference and uh, he approached me and he said, hey, if you're ever looking to sell, you know, contact me. And I, la- I kind of laughed. I said, you know, boy, you know, uh, that's very flattering, but we are way too small to sell. Like we'd be right. nothing for you. Exactly. And he said, well, you know, give yourself a couple of years, then call me. And so what happened was 
Um, I held on to that business for seven years and I was getting tired of scrapping for cash. I mean, actually after about four, four years, we were in a really good position, but it became a little bit monotonous. And, um, I, there were some life changes I wanted to make where I lived and all that stuff. And so I started talking to investment bankers and, and Todd again about, gee, is it the right time to sell? And then I started seeing some big changes in the industry of text messaging. For one, the iPhone and push notifications and iPhone apps were really overtaking my bread and butter, which was text uh, SMS messaging. Mm -hmm. And while we pivoted and we certainly supported iPhone apps and uh, push notifications, developing a iPhone app did not have the same revenue model the subscription revenue model that I enjoyed in doing text messaging. Gotcha. So I wanted to, to pivot out of that business and get it and, and start anew. Um, additionally, there was a whole bunch of new regulatory compliance with text that made our business just very scary. Um, we weren't doing anything wrong. We were everybody that tech that received a text from us at some point joined opted into our service. However, if somebody claimed that they did not opt in and for whatever reason, we couldn't find proof that they did not, mm-hmm. um, we could be in a whole world of hurt. So basically we had an experience where this new compliance rules, these new compliance rules came out and some we were based in Chicago and ironically some kid at Northwestern university law mm-hmm. school thought he'd make a quick buck by doing a class action suit against us, claiming um, our client, which was a restaurant group in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, sent them a text without their without their consent. Right. We were we were we were able to trace back who it was, and we were able to see that yes, in fact, we did get their consent. But had we not gotten their consent, um, or if for whatever reason something happened, you know, there's just all sorts of ways that something could happen where we could get in trouble. It would be $500 per text message, 500 to $1,000 per text message sent. And if we sent a thousand text messages, you know, it could be 500,000 to a million dollars in fines off one blip in the pocket that most people don't even care about. You know what I mean? Versus, and what was so enraging is this is back when Wells Fargo was, signing people up for auto loans that they didn't, um, they didn't request. And, right, uh, right. you know, I don't know if you remember that whole thing. Oh, this I, whole, I, I used whole... to work at Wells Fargo. I know a little something about that. Oh, you but, do? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I know a little something about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so, I so yeah. So I, at the time I was like, well, this is crazy. No offense to Wells Fargo, no, but no, no well, Wells Fargo's fine per incident of signing somebody up for an auto loan that they didn't request was way less than our fine per incident if we sent them a text message. That's crazy. You know, so I was just like, this business is too hot to handle. Right. Um, so I looked for a buyer at that point and I reapproached Todd. We did what's called a process, which I highly, highly recommend. To anybody selling their company, don't just sell. Certainly don't sell to the person that just approaches you. Right. Um, what you need to do is you need to run a process. And what a process is, it's kind of an auction. So the way this works is you hire an investment bank, the investment bank approaches, if you, if you were approached, you know, to, to sell, they approach that company, but they also approach 
10, 20 other companies. And then they wait for all the, um, the offers to come in and then you pick the highest offer and you create, you create a competitive bidding environment. You don't just roll over and take the first dollar that somebody offers you because that's going to be the, you know, that's, you're going to regret that for the rest of your life. Absolutely. So I sold, uh, sell it back then. Um, we had, it was interesting. We had three interested buyers. We had, uh, a company on the West coast. I, I don't want to get into names, but it was a big email, uh, email company based out of the Silicon Valley area. Gotcha. We had a company in the middle of the country, Hello or ePrize, the online cost contesting company. And then we had a company on the East Coast, which ended up turning out to be Merkle, <laughs> which is the company that ended up buying uh, ePrize. So in the end, I ended up with them anyway. Uh, but but uh, after running this process, uh, ePrize provided the get the best offer. It also provided the best cultural fit, which was really, really important for me and my employees. Um, and it was also a great geographic fit because they were opening up an office in Chicago. We were in Chicago and we just merged with that office, uh, a fresh start because it was a new office for them. It would be a new office for us. It kind of gave my employees the best chances for success. So, um, that was, a you know, so that experience, uh, hand, uh, sell it was started with unemployment money. Um, you know, I, I was fired from that venture capital firm. I took a very little bit of money from my father and a place to live that my father gave me. And I hunkered down for a year uh, living off unemployment. And uh, my big night out on the town was going to Costco for a dollar 50 hot dog and drink. Um, But, but, you know, I got that company off the ground um, and it it was very hard for several years. And then, then I sold it um, and, and had a nice liquidity event. And then when I started handwritten, it was very different because I already had the money to, to start handwritten and it hasn't been such a struggle. I mean, handwritten is actually a slower growth company than sell. It was sell it, sell it took off in about two years. Handwritten's taken five or six to really get going. But um, that kind of makes sense given the nature of both of those businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. Uh, But luckily I have the runway with handwritten because I have some money in my pocket to be able to do it. Right. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing it. And Startup Nation, David said something I thought was really interesting given our times or whatever. You said you started selling with what? Unemployment. Unemployment money. So given that how, you know, a lot of people are kind of out of work and trying to figure out what to do next, that may be an avenue to start that company that you've been thinking about. Just wanted to throw that out there. For sure. Thank you for sharing that, David. Once again, we're talking to David Wax, the founder of Handwritten. So I want to ask about Handwritten a little bit because, you know, I think it's an amazing company. Like you said, you know, uh, in, in this day where, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, harden our stance, well, not necessarily harden our stance, uh, re, reinvigorate our relationship with customers. I think Handwritten Notes uh, really do uh, go a long way. I want to ask you this, though, because, you know, you're using... Uh, uh, automation to kind of to do the handwritten notes. And I think the part where you can kind of uh, redo uh, handwritten notes in somebody's uh, 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 I can't I lost my handwriting uh, style. Yeah. A handwriting style. I think that's fascinating, but I want to ask you this. What do you say to people who say that like, you're kind of defeating the purpose a little bit is like you're using, you know, automation to kind of do something that's personal. Cause I imagine you get some of that pushback a little bit. Absolutely. Right. And you know, it's not right for everybody. 
Um, But here's the thing, like the effort it takes to sit down and decide I'm going to send a piece of personalized mail to anybody shows a level of thoughtfulness that most people don't have. I'm not talking about handwritten notes or robotically written handwritten with a Y notes. I'm just saying sending a piece of mail to somebody that's not just a bulk uh, slick catalog or, you know, whatever shows a level of thought thoughtfulness sending an actual handwritten note that you sat down to write yourself is clearly the most thoughtful, Mm -hmm. but we are the in-between, you know, we are a way for you to scale that because what happens is as much as you'd like to send an actual handwritten note to your 400 customers or whatever it is, you're never going to get there. You just don't have the time. Um, We have a perfume brand that uses us um, with their online sales. So it's a very, very high-end perfume. Mm -hmm. And something I could, their cologne is something I could never afford. But their their online sales, if you order their cologne and perfume online, they'll include a handwritten note from us with that cologne. I walked into a department store Mm pre-COVID and I was looking at the product and putting it out to my wife and my kids and all that stuff. And a woman walked over and she said, oh, can I, you know, show this to you? I said, no, no, no. I, I just, you know, and I explained what we did. And she said, man, I wish the perfume brand would allow us to use you because we're forced to manually write those handwritten notes. And I said, and do you do it? And she said, no, we don't have the time. And that's the problem is people just don't have the time to sit down and send the notes of appreciation that they want to send. Right. So it, you know, is it good? Is it as good as an actual handwritten note? No, but it comes close. Absolutely. And the the ink uh, smears. What I mean by that is the ink smears. Literally, you can take your finger, lick it, rub it on the pen note, and it smears. Right. People, by and large, will not know that this note was not written by you. The only way I would I would uh, di- I would bet the only way that they're going to know that this note isn't written by you is if you ask them, if you ask them, what did you think of that note? Their answer is going to be, oh, I loved it. Thank you very much. How thoughtful. If you ask them, uh, did you think that note was written by a robot? That card will then go through a level of scrutiny that it wasn't through before. And then they have the, you know, the 50-50 to guess, yes, it was written by a robot. But Unless you ask them, was it written by a robot? Their response is going to be, how thoughtful of you to send me a note in the first place. I mean, my wife, and she's been with me for the six years that I've been running this company. She receives cards from people using our service. And and she's amazed. She's like, oh, what nice handwriting they have. And I laugh and I say, honey, you know, (laughs) that's written by handwritten. And uh, she doesn't even know. And she works, you know, she, she, her husband runs the company. Right. For sure. For sure. I want to ask you this as well, because you talked about this earlier, as far as like the integration part, you know, with like Salesforce and Zapier and Amazon and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Talk about how you go about finding the right partners to do that with. Cause you, I, I mean, imagine you, you just can't up and just have that and do that with everybody, even if they have the capability to kind of integrate with handwritten. Yeah. So Zapier or Zapier, however it's pronounced right. is a godsend because that allows us for those that don't know what Zapier is, it's the, or Zapier, it's the hub. It's the central hub of a wheel. 
And imagine you have a bicycle wheel where that's the hub and then all these apps are on the spokes. So your CRM system or your e-commerce system. So for instance, if you run a Shopify store, right. that Shopify store, Shopify is a hub or sorry, Shopify is a spoke. The hub is Zapier and another spoke is handwritten because handwritten runs to the hub and then runs out to the spoke. We therefore connect with Shopify. So by being a, a connector through by being a zap in Shopify, we instantly connect with thousands of programs. Mm. I actually wrote that in integration um, personally. So I'm familiar with how to do that. And we're set up on, on Zapier for that. Um, Salesforce, we saw Salesforce as an opportunity for deep integration. Mm. We actually hired a Salesforce developer because that's a, um, that requires a domain of expertise we didn't have in-house. Makes sense. Um, and uh, we've had that built, and it's been under ongoing uh, revisions for the last several years. But it is out there on version 2.18 or something like that. Um, and that app uh, plugs directly into Salesforce and adds a send, send handwritten note button to every contact account lead and opportunity in your system. So with if you're familiar with Salesforce... Uh, you have an, a contact. You also have that contact sits under an account, which is a company. And then you have various opportunities and leads uh, based off that too. All those screens have a button right there that's a send handwritten note. When you click it within Salesforce, you can go through the flow of sending a handwritten note. So it automatically pulls down their contact information. You can view all the cards in handwritten. You can choose one, add a message and hit send. And then that activity of sending it is recorded back to the activity pane within Salesforce. So you can then see, oh, okay, I spoke to Dominic on Tuesday. I had an in-person meeting on Wednesday, and I right. sent him a handwritten note on Thursday. Right. Um, we do kind of sort of the same thing for HubSpot there. It's a little less integrated, but it, but it works as well. Um, but those are kind of the two big direct integrations we have. We are looking to integrate with Shopify as well even though I feel most of our Shopify integration is handled just fine through Zapier. Um, but yeah, I mean, our whole idea is become a platform for sending handwritten notes, not a website, not an app. In fact, um, I, I write for uh, Inc. Magazine occasionally, and I wrote a whole article um, on designing your service to be a platform, not not just to be a, a website or an app. And there's certain things that you should do up front to really set yourself up to be a platform. Right. Um, and that people can Google that article, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, um, that's been a very large driver of our growth Zapier in particular, but, yeah. but Salesforce as well. Um, those have been very large drivers of our growth. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner. 
and the Flexo series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, feel your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. This episode of The Startup Life is sponsored by SaveTheChildren.org. Startup Nation, Save the Children believes every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, they work every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. They deliver lasting results for millions of children, including those hardest to reach. They do whatever it takes for children every day and in times of crisis transforming their lives and the future we share. Startup Nation, right now, the coronavirus is the biggest global health crisis in our lifetime. It threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers, out of school, and exposed to violence and exploitation. Child poverty is rising. With your support, we can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. Here are some ways your support can make a difference. For just $5, you can buy a baby's first book, providing comfort and inspiring lifelong learning. And for $25, you can serve a nutritious breakfast and lunch to five out-of-school children in need. And there's many other ways you can help support Startup Nation. So go to savethechildren.org slash savekids or www.savethechildren.org forward slash savekids. So if you're ready to make a difference, Startup Nation, remember savethechildren.org. Make the change for children. The Startup Life is powered by Ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show, from those that played Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, and vitamin D, they also included the Rodelio root, 
which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with Ladder and prepare to get better every day. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. And once again, Startup Nation, like I said, I think uh, given this era of the coronavirus and, and trying to do business and strengthening that relationship with your customers, I think uh, having handwritten as part of your entrepreneurial toolkit, as part of your customer service strategy is, is very important. Once again, go to handwritten.com. That's H-A-N-D. W-R-Y-T-T-E-N.com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. I would I would actually think you need to put this uh, in your toolkit. I think it's really cool because, you know, have that personal touch uh, really does go a long way and can be a competitive advantage for you uh, as well. And, and David, clearly, man, you are on my laptop looking at my notes because I was going to mention that you write for Ink uh, Magazine uh, <laughs> once, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So I actually wanted to ask you about one of your pieces. You wrote something called Five Mistakes That Crush Innovation and How to Fix Them. And I wanted yeah. to, and you have, you know, different ones, like you have uh, ideas are dismissed before they fully explore them, which I thought was a good one. Your team has no breathing room to experiment, stuff like that. But I wanted to ask you about, uh, you focus on individuals instead of building teams. Kind of share with us your doctrine on that a little bit, if you don't mind, sir. Yeah, I think it's really important to build a collaborative organization and to have tools to enable that collaboration. Um, our company runs on Slack. Um, it could easily run on Microsoft Teams or, or whatever, but, right. um, you know, especially now with COVID, it's so important to create those connections where people feel included um, and Slack has been really great for that. Uh, but more to your point, you know, if you have people in silos where they don't feel their voice is appreciated, they're not going to share their, what could be brilliant ideas or ways to improve things or, uh, whatever it might be. And we are very focused here at handwritten on creating a flat organization where everybody feels they have a say in really anything. Um, so with sales, for instance, our sales teams are made up of the salespeople, the account managers that then support those salespeople, graphic designers, if new artwork is required to support the client, right. engineers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're really trying to create an environment where the communication tools are there uh, and the space, um, whether it's physical space or electronic space or whatever, is there to allow people to collaborate and share ideas and and brainstorm and that type of thing. Um, the first point in there uh, was about dismissing ideas right. before they're kind of, yeah, I think there's so much that we can do just around language. Absolutely. You, you know, just um, when somebody has an idea, not to dismiss it and say, oh, that's a dumb idea or, gee, thanks for your, your input. But to really say, oh, that's interesting. How could that apply here? Or now that we know that clients, you know, that our issue is X, how does your thing help solve for Y? Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so much about language that can really assist there. Right. 
And then um, back in my days at Penn, we, we, we talked, I was in some innovation classes and one of the big things was setting aside time for innovation. So I think 3M, 3M is always the golden child example here, but 3M allowed its employees, I think 25 or 30% of their time to work on pet projects. Right. And from that came the sticky note which is a multi-billion dollar project or uh, program for 3M, right. product for 3M. So we try to set aside time, uh, you know, 20% of people's time to allow them to work on whatever they want as long as there's some uh, tie back to handwritten. And this right. has led to some really great engineering um, initiatives in our company. For instance, um, you know, just the simple act of having pen holders closer to the robots. Um, we have some code that we might be open sourcing to the public that allows people to manage fonts. And this really has nothing to do with handwritten, but it's just font management tools, right. um, graphic designs. There's all sorts of ways where we can kind of give back to the community and improve things throughout our office that if we just give our employees the space to do that. Gotcha. It's funny you mentioned that because we've had previous guests who, who shared that sentiment, you know, allowing your, uh, your team members to kind of have that space for creativity, have that space for innovation, which ultimately means that, you know, that handwritten or the company that somebody's in actually does benefit. Even when you carve out uh, that time, because we see time and time again, that where we have companies where you don't allow that time and they go off and build billion dollar businesses elsewhere when and that could have been rolled into your company uh, uh, all the while. But I appreciate exactly. You, right? Exactly. I, I appreciate you sharing that, David, for sure. What are you seeing out there as far as like, because you talked about how you kind of like, you know, tampered down production of the robots and stuff like that in the company and stuff like that. What are some of those other precautions, some of those other pivots or shifts that you're making with handwritten uh, due to COVID-19 or the coronavirus? Yeah, so we were early on it, and uh, I think it's because I'm a paranoid guy, and I've got two young kids at home, and you know, and I'm just, I am hyper paranoid. Um, so very early on, right. early March, or maybe late February, I think it was early March, we decided to space out desks a lot farther than they were prior. Gotcha. We added. Um, hand sanitizing stations like you'd see in a hospital throughout our facility um, way before anybody else really was doing this. Mm -hmm. um, we instituted a 10 minute per morning, 10 minute per uh, before you leave um, cleaning where you had to go and spend 10 minutes at both times cleaning your office and everything else you touch. Um, you know, and, and 10 minutes is, is actually a long time. Most people can clean their, desk off in two minutes. And that forces you eight minutes to figure out other stuff to clean. Right. So we started all that. And then um, we moved all non-essential office workers home. Um, so, and so really I'm right now the only non-essential office worker um, at the office. What I mean by non-essential office worker is not that they're not essential. It means they're not essential in our facility. And there's only two types of people that are or three types of people that are. There's the people that operate the robots. There's the people that stuff the cards. And by the way, all our card stuffers and uh, robot operators wear masks at all times. Right. Um, and then there's the engineers that have to fix the robots when they break. So those 
three types of people are the only people in the office, except for me. And I should get out of here. Um, Everybody else is working from home. And I hate this because it really takes a toll on culture. Mm. But um, in the free flow of ideas we were talking about before and, you know, just having fun and, and all the rest that's so important. But um, it was really, you know, like so many people, it's really necessary in order to keep this company going. I used to have my office, my, my personal dog, um, who's the chief cuddle officer out here, Lulu, nice. come, to, come, to, come to work with me every day. Right. But I'm worried she's a vector, so I leave her at home. You know, she gotcha. would run from person to person and people would pet her. And then, you know, so one person pets her, goes the next. You know, yeah. I just didn't want all that going on either. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so... We've done all those measures. Now we just had our first scare of somebody that thought they had COVID. They mm-hmm. don't, thank God. But um, since then, when you come into the office, the first thing you do is you take your temperature. There's a um, forehead thermometer waiting for you when you open up the door, and there's um, a pulse oximeter. So you have to stick your finger in right, the thing, right. and your your pulse is below ninety. Not only do you not come in the office, you call your doctor. Right. Um, you know, it says call your doctor and leave if your pulse is below 90. So we do that. Um, our main entrance is, is completely shut. It locked, you know, main, the, the gate is down, all that. And we've limited entry to one office. We're not accepting, um, visitors. And then we used to accept people's custom cards if they wanted to, you know, write our note or have us write notes on their card stock. Uh, Now there's a, you know, you ship us your cards. There's going to be a a week delay between the time we receive it and the time we'll make it available because we don't want to touch them. So we leave them in the box. Uh, We're we're just hyper paranoid around here, but you know, everything's in the sake of safety. So for sure. So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, You know, and we are seeing the value, you know, and this, you know, we are, this is a little bit of a sales pitch, but we are seeing the value of reaching out to your customers during this time, you know, like being able to stay in touch. A lot of our clients are using this as an opportunity to say, um, you know, how much they they're thinking of their clients and they care about them. And so business hasn't been impacted too, too much. I mean, we're definitely down, uh, but it's not over the top because uh, we have something that kind of a, applies to showing people you care. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, if, by the way, we don't mind sales pitches on <laughs> apply for sure. We definitely want to highlight yeah. what you do in businesses and stuff like that. No, I appreciate uh, that for sure. I, I want to ask you this really quickly because, you know, and, and kind of get your commentary on this a little bit. Um, as we, you know, you know, we're reopening the economy and stuff like that. And we're, 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 uh, there's, talk of another type of like stimulus package to kind of help uh, the American <laughs> people and stuff like that. And, and in that stimulus package, one of those things that has come up is the cancellation of student debt. And I know you kind of mentioned that uh, having debt while you was going to school and stuff like that. How do you feel about that? Do you, are you in favor against uh, neutral? What's your take on that? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, boy, that is a excellent question. Yeah. Be as honest if you want. Yeah. I, I mean, this again gets into a whole other conversation, Absolutely. but I think uh, student debts, you know, I was able to get out of it. I think a lot of people can eventually get out of it. But right now, if that's going to make the difference for somebody, I, I think we should 
Um, I think we should look at canceling it. I think a bigger thing, and, and this is, you know, my personal sure. opinion, and I, I'm sorry if, if I'm offending anybody here. I, I think there needs to be options for public health care because so many people, you know, I just got my renewal notice uh, from my office healthcare plan saying, congratulations, your um, company's healthcare plan is only going up 11% this year. You know, congratulations. Right. You, you know what I mean? It, that's a lot. And when you're an entrepreneur, uh, but your family's well-being is tied to working at your company, how can you be an entrepreneur? How could you leave to start that and have that American dream opportunity, especially with healthcare rates where they are today? You know, when I started Sell It, I was able to get a... Um, a blue cross blue shield plan for like 200 bucks a month. And it was relatively affordable, but um, up until a few years ago, handwritten didn't qualify for a company plan. So I was spending, uh, you know, this is 12 years later or whatever. I was spending a thousand dollars a month for healthcare that covered nothing. Um, it, you know, it had like a $10,000 deductible. So that to me, that's worthless healthcare, but I was spending all that money. And most people starting businesses today can't do it. And it's not, it is killing the American dream. And then through the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, what it does or what it did when I was a part of it right. two years ago, um, it lumped entrepreneurs, which are quote unquote, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the heroes of American industry, right? Mm -hmm. It lumps entrepreneurs with the highest risk pool people in the United States by saying they're both just unemployed or unemployed. You know, anybody in the ACA is the biggest risk pool in the United States and therefore pays for it with these ridiculous plans that don't offer anything in return. And I think this country needs to take a look at what every other country is doing and try to figure out a way to make it work here. Um, and again, you know, I'm not looking to get political here, but yes, I think student debt is, uh, is important to consider relieving if that'll, or at least putting a um, forbearance on it where, you know, for a year right. it goes um, in, you know, it's just paused, right? Like there's just, you don't pay your student debt for a year. It doesn't go anywhere, but it, but it's just, you know, but it doesn't accrue interest for that year. Gotcha. Uh, but I think that, you know, the reason they're attacking student debt and they're not attacking home healthcare is because it's not a huge lobbying organization of nearly the same magnitude as there is the healthcare lobbyists. And, uh, you know, there's not as many people in the pockets. And, and, and again, I apologize. This is strictly my viewpoint. I'm not here to espouse politics. I'm here to talk about right, handwritten notes and, and how they can, uh, how they can benefit people. But I don't know if I could have started sell it today and uh, had I not started sell it, I wouldn't be able to start handwritten and I wouldn't have been able with sell it at my high. I think I had 26 employees. I wouldn't have been able to create jobs for 26 people um, pay taxes for those, you know, the payroll taxes for those 26 people, have them pay their own taxes, have them go out and buy goods and services. And I wouldn't be able to do that because I wouldn't be able to get the healthcare, you know, at a thousand dollars a month, I I wouldn't be able to do it. And so if we want to spur innovation in this country and create a society where the American dream lives, 
there has to be an option. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the only option. But back when the ACA was getting formed, there was the idea of a public option and it got stomped on by, by uh, the lobbyists. And having just a, a public option where people could get minimal health care for a minimal price, right. we have to, we, we, we need to, we need, if we want the American dream to survive of being able, I mean, there's, there's nothing about liberty if, you, if your health care is tied to your work. Gotcha. I hear that. I hear that. And, yeah. and I, I appreciate your, your, your candor. Everybody knows that the startup, like we're a political show, uh, but your, your value and your experiences kind of speak to your story, which is why I appreciate the way you framed it, you know, because you, you talked about how, you know, had you, uh, not had that path then maybe sell it wouldn't be here. Maybe handwritten wouldn't be yep. here. And we, and we pride ourselves on, uh, uh, free enterprise here in this country. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's all I'll say. I right, mean, right, of uh, course, of course. we, we, uh, we, we've been doing some, we did a, uh, black lives matter card uh-huh. recently gotcha. for, um, just to basically it was a $2 card mm-hmm. and, uh, a hundred percent. So usually our cards are, are three twenty five. Or sorry, uh, yeah, three twenty-five plus postage. So they right. come out to about three eighty when you have the fifty-five cent stamp. Mm-hmm. This card was a dollar forty-five plus postage, so two dollars, uh, including the stamp. And it says Black Lives Matter. We have another one that says uh, about Pride. Mm-hmm. And we thought, you know, with everything going on with George Floyd, this would be a nice way to get the message out. And then a hundred percent of the profits go to um, go to causes. The gotcha. the Black Lives Matter. Uh, 100% of the profits go to the NAACP, the um, Pride card, 100% of the profits uh, go to the ACLU. Gotcha. Um, and we thought of it as a nothing burger, you know, like right. if nobody didn't, if people didn't want to send them, you know, right. fine, send one of our other cards, you know what I mean? Like, and you would, you would be amazed at the vitriol and the hate that we got and, hey, don't be political. And, and we weren't trying to be political. We were just trying to show our, our, um, our, our compassion for our fellow right. uh, patriots and, right. and man sure. and, and women. So uh, it, you know, since that experience, I've, I've really, um, you know, I, I just want people to know I'm not here to be political. I'm of just course. here to, of course. to help. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I definitely understand that. But I, I will say this, first of all, as an African-American, I appreciate what you were trying to do. I definitely appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, but I think also we get to a dangerous place in America where we can't, disagree civilly you know what i yep. mean you know we, we really do and so i i think that's a lesson that uh, all of us can kind of uh learn and take to heart because once again you know look we're, we're we, we don't all come from the same background we don't all have the same value system we don't all have the same story so we should be able to kind of have these disagreements uh but also have them civilly and talk about it and it, and hopefully we can come up with a solution great and if not well you know at the very least, we can keep that respect and, and that civilness uh, amongst uh, one another, especially in a time where if there was ever a time we need each other, it's right now during a yep, world. Exactly. So, um, yeah. And then I, you know, we didn't at handwritten, we didn't get right. uh, aggressive with anybody that, that uh, complained. Right, right, of, course, of course. There were a few people that were very, you know, civil and that said, Hey, why don't you have a, um, like blue lives all matter, lives matter, matter which I kind of thought missed the point or a um, support the police card or something like that. Gotcha. And, you know, we responded um, to all those, but then there were just people that didn't deserve a response gotcha. that were, you know, 
F you guys or, you know, or one guy called me up and, and tore my ear out about how he didn't appreciate us doing that and that the values of those people, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it was, it was kind of sickening that this, you know, here we are in the future where we should have flying cars. We do have self-driving cars, but you know, when I was a kid, uh, we thought we'd have flying cars and everything else, but we're still dealing with these um, divides that have existed for 500 years or whatever. So anyway, I don't mean to side rail the conversation. It's all good. It's all good. I I appreciate your sentiment. I appreciate uh, what you were trying to do. I appreciate that for sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we're wrapping up with David Wax, the founder of uh, Handwritten. Uh, Once again, you can go to the show notes if you're listening to the replay on the podcast to check out the website for Handwritten. Man, let me ask you this, man. Given everything that's going on in COVID-19, you mentioned your wife and your two young kids. What are you guys doing to stay sane these days? Are you sitting down watching movies? You're having like game nights what's going on at the at the <laughs> household yeah so my kids are really young i've got a uh one and a half year old and a uh kid that's almost three okay and uh you know quite frankly they're not seeing friends right um it is i feel really bad for them mm-hmm. i feel they're really missing out but i try to come home from work early every day and we hop in that pool as quickly as i get home right because uh, they don't, yeah, it's hard. It's too hard for my wife to juggle two kids in the pool. Right. Uh, sure. But uh, I do that. Days, I get yeah. in there and I just try to keep them as active as I can. Right. And they are getting too much TV right now. And there's, you know, we've just kind of accepted it. Right. Um, we go on family walks. We're in Arizona where it is bloody hot right now. Right, right. So it's a little hard to do that during the day. So unfortunately our kids are kind of trapped in the house a little bit. And then, you know, we, we try to, go on little um you know go to a park or something but then one of the kids inevitably has to use the bathroom and then that that uh makes things very difficult so it's a tough time for for our family right now as i'm sure as i know it is for you and everybody else um we do have games we play with them a lot of puzzles we are spoiling them with toys right now and just trying to do anything we can to keep them from watching TV and keep their brains engaged. Um, and a lot of that is, is pool time because it is so hot out here. Absolutely. I, I definitely understand that. We're here in Tennessee where it's not necessarily as hot as Arizona, but it gets uh, pretty humid. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely humid. It's almost like feeling like you're swimming when you go outside for sure. Um, how are you? How are you dealing? If you don't mind? No, not, I, I, thank you for asking. I, I appreciate that. You, you know, day by day, day by day, I, I think it got so my my daughter uh, It's funny. You mentioned that my daughter is technically still on spring break. So she went on spring break in March, like March 9th and stuff like that, and just hasn't been back to school since. Right. And, and so that mm-hmm. was a bit crazy. And then uh, her birthday is in May. And so it didn't hit her until she turned eight. It didn't hit mm-hmm. her until the morning of her birthday. She was like, wow, nobody's coming over, you know, because we usually yeah. party and stuff like that. So it's like me and my wife, we're we're kind of OK, but it's kind of, you know, get, helping my daughter to understand. It's like, dad, you know, can we go here? And like, no, we can't go here. Like, why we can't go here? Because unfortunately, baby, people are sick. And so we can't go to, and this was before stuff was started to reopen. Like we would go to the, right. uh, the, the jump park, the indoor mm-hmm. jump park and stuff like that, or other places, right? Like, baby, we can't go, uh, because it's sick. So honestly, it's more so like, 
uh, you know, it, it's parent 2.0, I guess, or whatever, just trying to make sure she's okay and console her and stuff like that. But, you know, other than that, we're okay. We go on daily walks. We, we make it a, make a trip to target every once in a while, or sometimes we just go for a drive. Yep. Yep. We do a lot of those. We do a lot of those, man. It's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I really feel for anybody, especially anybody with kids right now, it is so hard Mm -hmm. and it's very stressful for the parents too. I mean, my poor wife, you know, we've had to give up help. Um, it's just, it's very hard on everybody. And, uh, my wife is actually from Canada and the border's closed. So, you know, not like she was planning on seeing her family anytime soon anyway, but now it's, it's literally impossible. Right. So, um, it's, 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 it's tough. That's rough. That's rough. Well, my, my, my thoughts are with your, your family and all of you startup nation, as you navigate this, this new normal, I guess, you know, forever, however long it's going to be, but just know that, you know, uh, given our, you know, our, uh, our, our entrepreneurial mindset and given our, uh, our, honestly, just our humanness, if you will, we will get through this together. And I'm pretty sure David seconds that for sure. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We will figure it out. Absolutely. We will always figure it out. I always say, man, like if you, if you ever watch like that movie Independence Day, I, I've always, I'll always bet on humans if there's like a world thing, even though with everything going on and stuff like that, I know it's kind of hard to say that now, but I always bet on humans when there's something that kind of, you know, threatens our, our lives and stuff like that for sure. But that's neither uh, here or there. For sure. I want to ask you this, man. We'll go ahead and start wrapping up here for sure, man. You know, there's somebody out there that's feeling a little down, feeling a little discouraged, stuff like that. You know, give them some words of encouragement, kind of take us out for today, if you don't mind, David. Yeah. So um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity, a very uh, amazing opportunity to meet with a bunch of people that I wouldn't have otherwise met with. One of them was Conan O'Brien, because I used to be in the organization, the student organization that brought speakers to campus. So I would Mm -hmm. meet these speakers before they'd speak. And one of them was Conan O'Brien. And his advice to me and to everybody he spoke with was always get in over your head. And I mean, right now that's easy, right? right? Like everybody is in over their head with COVID. For sure. But Always getting it over your head means you're always stretching yourself to do stuff you couldn't do before and challenging yourself to do what you couldn't do before and improving and growing. And I think it is so important to get in over your head. And it's not easy. I had years with Sell It, uh, two years. And now I've had, um, now Handwritten's doing well, but it took four or five or six years to get there. Um, And if you stay, you know, in business, there's no timeline. There's no, you know, in two years, if you don't make it, you're out, you know, as long as you stay on that field and you keep playing that game, eventually you're going to cut through. Now I'm not saying it's always possible. You run out of money or whatever, but for the most part, if you can just stick with it and know that it's very rare for a business to be a blowout success in less than two years and just stick with it for a few years, um, I think you have a, a good shot at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Overextend. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And that's going to wrap up this time and our session on the Startup Life with David. David, it's been a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you, Dominic. It's been a pleasure for me as well. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.